This is the Daily Beast Podcast. I'm John Avalon, Editor-in-Chief of the Daily Beast. On this podcast, you're going to hear conversations about news, politics, pop culture, oh, and so much more from Daily Beast Radio on Sirius XM Inside Channel 121. Uh, Daily Beast Radio airs Saturdays at 9 a.m. and Sundays at 5 a.m. and noon. So let's get to it. Let's get on with the show. So one of the oldest truisms in politics is people don't pay attention to Labor Day. Well, guess what, folks? Labor Day is Monday. It's right around the corner. But we all know that that truism is a bunch of BS because politics has been preoccupying us since at least the beginning of the summer when the reality show con man known as Donald Trump weighed into the Republican race and didn't just blow it up but started to own it. Uh, He is now double his nearest competitor in key states. This phenomena is not going away, no matter how much Republicans named Jeb Bush, Reince Priebus, or anybody else would like it to. Uh, And of course, Hillary Clinton just day by day taking on water on the email server uh, deal. Um, This week, one of her aides pleading the fifth, but that race is tightening up, but people shouldn't overstate it. She is still miles ahead, at least in Iowa. New Hampshire, different story. We will get there, but first, let's bring in our U.S. News Editor and Cheat Sheet Editor, What's your name again? Justin Miller and Ben Collins. Um, Justin's to, new here, by the way. I was about to say Just Ben Collins, and I was looking at you, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> and uh, one of our great writers and editors, Ben Collins, who um, does all manner of things, including the awesome Deez Nut stories from last week. Yeah. Um, that feels like six months ago now, by the way. I know. I go. know. So, gentlemen, let's start on the Republican side. Um, people are saying, you know, there's a lot of talk today. Oh, Donald Trump didn't know Hamas from Hezbollah. And is this really going to hurt him? Um it seems to me like they're not paying attention to what's oh, going on here. They don't care. Do, do you really? Do you really think the people who are in his base care about this? I clearly do not, Justin. <laughs> no, I think they they are not interested in you know sorting out the Middle East. They want the hell out of there. And like Trump said, you know, take the oil and I don't leave them behind, right? So they're not you know this is not a serious candidate, and I don't think his voters are serious about you know wanting to actually lead the world. Here's the thing. I mean, it's really easiest for us to say he's not a serious candidate because. He's gaftastic. He says crazy things. He insults everybody. But, I mean, that also implies that this is all just kind of a weird summer lark. And his voters are going to say, you know what? All right, it's getting cold in the fall. Who can really lead this country? Is there any evidence to suggest you know, that? I, I used to believe that, and I don't anymore. I'm, I'm looking at these poll numbers, and I'm, I, you know, I, see, I see Trump with 30, and then I see Carson with somewhere between like 15 and 18, and then I see Cruz with 8. And then you add that all up, and the fringe of the party is leading the party. That's over 50% of the party. That's right. That's exactly the right math, I think. So what, I mean, how, what is it going to take for us to, as a country, be like, oh, wait, these are actually serious people, if they're not over half the party, polling it over half the party. And I understand there are people trolling uh, when they're getting polled. I understand that. I totally believe that. And I could totally see myself doing it. I could totally see a guy calling me pissed off at the end of work one day and going, oh, I'm voting for Donald Trump all the way down. But I don't think this is a mathematical mathematical aberration or er- error at this point. It is the reality we live in, I think. No, sorry. When I said not serious candidate, I meant, like, not a serious person to <laughs> yeah. lead, lead the, the leader of the, the, the free world. Clarify. Yeah. Erase yeah. the last two minutes. <laughs> Donald Trump would, you know, in some bizarre universe in which he's elected president, what would his cabinet even look like? There is no one in the re- Republican sort of foreign policy establishment, anybody— Neocon, paleocon, whatever, who would work for him? It'd be terrific. Yeah. 
It'd be a terrific cabinet. You're It'd ask, be great. You're asking the be wrong huge. question. It, like, is it going to be the best in the world? And the answer is, yeah, it's going to be the best. <laughs> yes. But, but I mean, you know, the, the serious point you're raising is how much can the GOP really rally around this guy? If yeah. it, th- this is part of the Faustian bargain the GOP made. Uh, it laid the seeds a lot earlier than the Tea Party era. But when your conservative populist base hates Washington and politics and governing so much, when Trump's numbers aren't just troubling to me. It's Ben Carson in a strong number two. Yep. Two people with no experience in governing anything. When that's your your preferable option, you know, you know, the inmates are running the asylum, and the Republican Party can harness this energy, and that's been their strategy. We'll harness the anger, but then we'll we'll try to convert it into responsible governance. But what they're what's being revealed is that their base doesn't care about ideas or experience at all. Yeah. I think that's, I, yeah, it, it, again, it's still sort of an FU vote right now. Um, when does that transition? I don't know. I mean, like, the top three people are people who are fundamentally not qualified to run this country right now. They're, they're fundamentally not qualified to talk to Congress, let alone, you know, understand the difference between Hamas and Hezbollah. It, it's not, I, I don't know when it ends. I, and it might just be silly season lasts longer than now, and that's fine. But... Well, let me say what, what I, from my experience, having covered this stuff, but also, you know, been in a presidential campaign running policy. Mm-hmm. Um, if this is still the dynamic in November, there's a whole different world to hurt. Yeah. And a lot has to change in the next six weeks. And it can. You know, the, the August, the early August numbers are frequently dramatically off. When you start getting into September, usually you see trends that will turn into deeper dynamics. And the only trend we're seeing is Trump and Carson more so. Yeah. Like normally you'd have this, like Rick Perry was leading in, you know, 2012 for a hot second uh, by 27%. And then, you know, faded once the debates rolled around. First debate, Romney kind of crushed him, smacked him around. Um, You know, this dynamic, you know, the, the trend is deeper and not going in the direction one would think if you believe that this is silly season and the fever is going to break. Well, so if you looked at the if you look at the um, Iowa poll that showed Carson and Trump tied at 30 percent, I think on Monday, um, if you looked at all the respondents, they said, you know, are you open to sort of changing your vote? Are you firmly decided? I think right now it is sort of like, you know, let's taste all the different flavors mm-hmm. and then we'll decide what to order. And I think that is going to go on for a while longer. And, you know, sure, Carson has gained. But he's taken all of Scott Walker's voters. So, you know, again, like the Scott Walker people, for whatever reason, apparently, you know, shot over to Carson. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're going to have another couple change of leads or oh, sort of second fiddle or whatever. But, you know, again, Trump is only at 30 percent. 30 percent in this brig of field is a big deal. Yeah. And it's that's, this, that's a huge and, number. And the thing to keep in mind about these these early primary states is, you know, Iowa is actually a great state in a lot of respects, one of the most educated states in the country per capita. It's a very representative state to the extent that it's third Democrat, third Republican, third independent. The problem with the caucus is the people who turn out are basically a third of the conservative Republican third, right. maybe half. So you're dealing with a really small number that's going to be most susceptible to messages of anger. It doesn't necessarily represent the state. And, and, um, it's more the combination of the Trump-Carson number that's concerning and that Cruz is in there, too. Because if, if you know, if, if Walker isn't crazy enough for you, and then Jeb, who's trying to push back finally, and we should yeah. talk about that, really push back, you know, being responsible is a net negative inside the Republican Party today. I, I, think, I think that that's something we have to consider now is, you know, is this, are these people 
winning because they're incredibly charismatic. Like, I don't think anybody, any of us would debate that Donald Trump is the most charismatic person running right now. That is just true. Or, it's a low they, bar, but yeah. It's an, yeah, it's an incredibly low bar, but it's true. I mean, in, in comparison, you look at Jeb Bush, who looks exhausted. He looks so tired. Low energy. Yeah, right. yeah that's part of it. He does. He looks like a, like a dad that just got home from work 24-7 now. That's just the way he is. So, like, I don't know if this is an ideas thing, but if it is an ideas thing, it's not coming out yet. It's it's an emotion thing. Yeah. And a lot of voting is emotion, and people shouldn't forget that. And I think, look, there's a lot politicians can learn from Donald Trump, just in terms of having the courage to speak your mind. And, you know, and, and you know, how much of his trollery is instinctive and how much of it's strategic and how yeah. much of it's just a, 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 you know, egomaniac who's profited from running his mouth off. I mean, you just basically parroted the low energy line, as Justin pointed out. Right, yeah. And it's stuck, and it's driving the Bush crowd crazy because yeah. it's the wimp factor all over again. That's and, what it is. I mean, I, mean I, I, I think that most of this at this point is strictly a personality thing. It's more of a personality thing than it is anything else, I think. And if it's not, um, I think the party has to do, I mean, they always say this, party has to do some soul searching. But the party has to do some soul searching. <laughs> no, no, it's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, my, 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 my dear beloved wife, who is a proud Republican um, for reasons of principle and heritage and other stuff, I mean, this is not a, you know, th this, is, this, is, this is another sign that the party really needs a reformation. The question is how crazy it's going to get. Last cycle, I wrote a column when Santorum was surging saying, you know, the case for crazy. Let him go full crazy. Uh, because then I think, you know, you'll, you'll lance the boil, so to speak. Yeah. What's amazing to me is that, and let's just talk about this for a second, Rubio and Rand Paul, who I really thought would, oh, uh, would, would perform well. I thought the seas would part at this point, and you would, and you would see Rubio just sort of slide right in. Well, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. Rubio and Rand both are the most, or have up until the most recent polling cycles, been the most competitive general election candidates. Rubio checks every conservative box, basically, except that he backed immigration reform once. Oh, my God. Yep. And then reversed himself on it like a weasel. Um, but, you know, he's a great match for Hillary Clinton. In a 16-person field, when there's one libertarian candidate whose father had a cult-like appeal, it's amazing to me that Rand Paul is fighting to stay in the debate. He's the one guy who doesn't have an overlapping constituency. I mean, right. Ted Cruz is trying to get in bed with Donald Trump. You got three or four people vying for evangelical vote. Um, Rand Paul should have self-professed libertarians all to himself, but either they don't inspired by him or they weren't ever inspired by those ideas because he's like fighting to keep in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the libertarians are sort of, you know, it's like kind of like the youth vote. Like, yeah, this time it's going to make a difference. And like, eh, it doesn't really make a difference. And honestly, right now, you know, where is, you know, the Fourth Amendment and NSA surveillance and drones in your list of daily concerns? It's nowhere. It doesn't matter to people. That's what Rand is like. Stupid state. civil liberties. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Right, yeah. right. You know, Bill of Rights is so yesterday. Well, hey, I mean, that's what the voters are, are saying. I mean, this is not the sort of issue of our times as people, people see it. So I don't think this is Rand's sort of moment. But doesn't that also say that, you know, the, the millennial, um, and, and uh, you know, let's get past sort of the, the cliche of the term as a marketing demographic. Um, you know, there have been a lot of signs that there's the real libertarian concerns that, you know, the excesses of the national security state are a motivating concern. And yet this is just evaporated. Yeah. Um, I mean, Donald Trump would offer, you know, more louder, bigger, more expensive, more quasi-authoritarian government. Oh no, I was gonna. I just, I was just about to say that. Like, uh, Donald Trump is stealing away this libertarian vote somehow. I have no idea how this is happening, or, or at least a little bit of it. 
And what he's offering is essentially like a despotic sort of dictatorship. Well, I think we want to be very careful about <laughs> saying a despotic and dictator. I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. fair. Okay, that's a little over the top. But, but, but the like, appeal is yeah. one of the strong man. No, it, And exactly. the strong man doesn't really care about laws, processes, or inconvenience. Right. The, the Trump phenomenon has exposed uh, the Republican Party as one that rhetorically speaks you know, about limited government, small government. They don't mean that. You know, the police state right. that Donald Trump would erect to catch every illegal immigrant here would be like nothing you've ever seen. You see Chris Christie, for example, talking about like tracking them like they're FedEx packages. Sure. Which is the literal opposite of the person standing across from on the other side of the podium. So, I mean, again, soul searching. Like, we, they got to figure out what they're about in this. Well, case. let me tell you, it's about, it's about limiting government for people not like me. Yeah, yeah that's well, what it is. That's that's always been the you know liberty for me, but not for thee. I mean, um, has been the one of the Achilles' heels in in the movement historically. And and I'm you know I'm not um, you know I worked for a Republican for seven years. I'm not a reflex Republican hater. I also wrote a book called Wingnuts, which is very critical about the rise of the far right. right. So, um, and I'm an independent. Um, but, you know, what's happening here, let me just, just as you're all driving back from the beach or driving <laughs> to the beach, um, it's later than you think. And, and it is, you know, it is September now. And if these dynamics are still in place in two months, you know, the Republican Party in the country has got to get its head around uh, nominee Donald Trump, potentially. And that is a crazy surreal scenario. Um, the only persons, people who'd be delighted about that are, wait for it, segue, the Democrats. Um, so let's talk about the left-hand side of the column. Um, Bernie Sanders leading in New Hampshire, not totally surprising neighboring state of Vermont. Uh, Hillary's still a good lead in, in Iowa, but the national polls have been all trending in the wrong direction, talking about a trend. And it's all related to not just the email server, but as these things work, the reason that scandals or narratives take place in politics is because they riff off a pre-existing narrative. And, and it has surfaced every negative association with the Clintons, fairly or unfairly in this specific case, that they, they, they apply special rules to themselves. They're something shady or dodgy. They're trying to evade that there's an ethical problem that hangs over them, even if the people recognize that they're smart and ambitious and maybe good at governing. Um, now, the Republicans stand the most to benefit from damage to Hillary Clinton. They want, because if she's not in the race and it's the current status quo, Republicans can win. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever nightmare scenario, it's Bernie versus Trump, in which case, let's go third party America and fast. <laughs> um, like, you know, but, but she still has a legitimate hold. But when her, you know, when her aide, who was sort of her personal CTO, takes the fifth, at the Benghazi committee uh, this week, whatever you think about the fishing expedition that is the Benghazi committee, that doesn't look good in politics as perception. How much trouble do you think Hillary Clinton is in? She's in a lot of trouble, and uh, it's not going to be over at least until about November, right? October 16th is the first Democratic debate, and then after that, I think on the 22nd, is when she testifies in front of the Benghazi committee. Um, there will not have been a more consequential congressional testimony in American politics since, you know, McCarthy. Right. I mean, when was the last time a presidential candidate testified in front of Congress? I, I, I don't know. Um, I cannot think of, a, of, a, of an easy parallel it, it, at that point in a campaign. That is that is D-Day. Um, that's whew, she doesn't. That's I'm horrified for her. <laughs> you know, even if she says, you know, here's the problem. Right. Taking the fifth is perfectly legal. It doesn't it's not an admission of guilt. But damn, it looks bad, right? 
And this is the thing, it's like quicksand. Like the more you try to like kick out of it or fight it, the worse and worse it gets. It's, I don't know, it's virtually unwinnable. I don't think she can correct the record or sort of change the narrative about talking about it. She goes on NBC News today and says, you know, I'm sorry that people are confused by the email, you know, the way that I use email. Sorry you're too stupid not to get this. Yeah, her narrative, her narrative is way too flip on this. And, like, they could be a lot more aggressive, too. They could say, you know, we like, Congress has gone through Benghazi investigations that have turned up nothing, I think, almost a dozen times now or something like that. I think it's, it's over eight. I know that. Um, so this is horrible timing for her. This is really bad, but they're not aggressive enough. They, they have not handled this with any urgency whatsoever. Well, I mean, I, I think they belatedly have, but yeah. the question is, again, you know, one of the biggest lies in politics is that August is slow and quiet, and it's actually when perceptions start to harden. And it's particularly true in a, in a presidential election year, but everything matters. Um, so let's segue to Joe Biden. He spoke in Atlanta on Thursday night. Our Patricia Murphy was there, did a very nice dispatch on, on the feeling in the room. And I don't know if you all have a chance to hear the clip, but he is very nakedly emotional and honest about being in a place where he had to decide whether to run, in part because he recognizes he is still, and his family is still, wrestling with the grief, grief of losing his eldest son, Bo. And, and, that, and he, quite frankly, put it out there. He said, you know, I don't know if we're going to have the emotional strength to run the kind of campaign that the office deserves. And that's honest, right? Because you can make an impulsive decision in moments of grief or shock um, that aren't in your best interests, and, you know, if you're thinking right, the country's best interests. So, you know, what's your read on, on where he is right now? It does seem that the, the organization, the attempt to organize a potential campaign, which had been on full speed, maybe taking a gear shift back, just a gear shift, though. Right. They want to provide the, the, the landing pad. But, I mean, you know, what, what is the impact? I mean, obviously, if Hillary implodes, Biden's really the only game in town, unless you believe that, you know, O'Malley will suddenly surge or that Bernie Sanders will be the next president of the United States. Um, <laughs> you know, where do you think Biden is, what, if you had to bet right now? Oh, man. Um, let's, let's do this. What, what do you think, you know, what do you think would be better for the Democratic Party? I mean, I, the better for the Democratic Party is he leaves. He just doesn't think about this, right? He just hides out. I don't know that that's true. No. Better for the Democratic Party is to have somebody, is to have Biden run, of course. Okay. Great disagreement. All I right, like cool. it. Deep in the disagreement. I okay. Mean, yeah. I, I, just, I feel like the, the more viable the backup plan, especially with somebody who's embroiled in scandal, is probably going to split the party a little bit. But I do also believe that you know that this is a good narrative against the coronation narrative that everyone seems to believe is is still out there and bernie is not running as a traditional democrat he's running as a you know very far left socialist democrat so it i see literally true not, yeah not pejoratively true that's exactly literally what it is so like I, I could absolutely see it being a nice temporary thing if there was like a like a wink and a nudge that was that you know this isn't that serious we're just Sort of hopping in. Well, the Veep doesn't get not... in without being serious. The question right. is, is it worth it for him? Um, and you know, a strong a strong opponent will make Hillary a better general election candidate, right? That's one logic piece you hear. But you don't run for president to like. I mean, that's help, a protest. Help candidate. the other team, right? Right. Right. I mean, that, that's what Bernie's doing, right? Bernie's saying, I'm going to run passionately to your left, and I'll move you maybe to the left on issues, and right. you know, that's you know, you you run to win, or you don't run at all. No, it's true. I, I, but I don't think it's I, I don't think at the end of the day you do, you want a very serious, very competent, very now reserved, uh, nice man that lots of people like in this country running alongside of you when you have such like tremendous disapproval ratings. Like no people 
who don't like Hillary Clinton really do not like Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Right. So I that's think, not true with Joe Biden. So I think, which is to say that Joe Biden could beat Hillary Clinton in the primary and would stand a much better chance in the general election. Than Hillary Clinton? Of course. Really? You think so? Who do you trust? Yeah, that's a great... Biden doesn't have trust issues. And when you... What is voting on some level or on the most basic level? It's putting your... It's taking a little investment of your faith and putting it in somebody to run the country on our behalf, right? And Hillary not being... Coming off to people as a liar, not my opinion, theirs, yeah. is kryptonite. You will not elect somebody who you don't trust. People trust Biden. And when he gets up there and has this sort of Hamlet like, I don't know if I'm going to or not, and... You know, you see his his heart on his sleeve. You know, how do you? How are you? How do you think? Yeah, that guy's that guy's toying with us. He's really in it for himself. No way. People. But want... do you really think Joe Biden is a better general electoral candidate than Hillary Clinton? Right now, I think he probably is. Yes, because he's won <laughs> two national elections. Well, on the the VP. Well, hey, that's more than Hillary Clinton's won. Well, yeah, but I. I, I he's been vetted. What what's gonna what's gonna come up to surprise us? Nothing. I just honestly think at the end of the day, people like Biden, but if it's about creating a sense of confidence in the future, look, if it's Biden-Trump, sure, Biden wins. Yeah. Um, sure. But if it's, you know, Biden is exceptionally old, even by presidential standards. Um, He's two years younger than Bernie. Uh, well, yeah, and again, Bernie Sanders is not going to be the nominee. <laughs> Why do you think that O'Malley and, and Webb haven't been able to catch any traction at all? Do you think that could change after the first debate? Well, Webb is just a you know he's a he's a charisma and a no name right now. I mean, like he's a charisma problem and no and a huge no name problem. Uh, O'Malley is complicated. I, I, O'Malley is just taking the like on the left of the Huntsman ride where people vaguely know who he is and like think of him as a nice third option, but they don't actually take him seriously. And I don't know why that happened. Justin, do you have any idea why that happened? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, he's been running for president for, whatever, five years, practically speaking, yeah. and sort of int intimating that he was going to run when he was at the end of his um, term as governor. I mean, yes, I think you sort of answered the question why they haven't caught fires. They haven't been introduced nationally, right? You know, look what happened in the Republican debate. Fiorina and Carson were basically nobodies, and they gave good debate performances, and boom, now they're like, you know, now they're registering a pulse. So that debate is going to be all about probably O'Malley and Webb trying to like fight for attention. It's not going to be as hard as it was on the Republican side when you had 10 candidates. I, I think you're going to see O'Malley, one of those two candidates get a bump, maybe both. Because Webb is actually a really impressive individual. He's mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, he's not running a good campaign. He's barely running a campaign. Right. Um, but he's really interesting as a figure. Um, war hero, novelist, journalist, like senator, been a secretary of the army under Reagan, interesting, compelling character. Probably not in tune with the times, but interesting. And then O'Malley, you know, there are a lot of problems with his campaign, but you know, he is a he is a non-crazy alternative to Hillary Clinton. Whereas Bernie Sanders, you got to know, even if you support him, that he's not going to be the president of the United States. Right. Really, almost any Republican not named Donald Trump or Ben Carson could beat him, and that is itself a massive gamble for the country. Yeah. I, I mean, O'Malley has also kind of come off as, I mean, Olivia's written about this a lot for us, Olivia Nuzzi, who's written about how he's, he's sort of like goofy. He's like, like mm -hmm. yeah, there guitar. is a, yeah, like, it's, it's sort of like trying, it's a little earnest, it's a little trying too hard. Yeah. Sort of like, well, I know I'm sort of going to play the candidate of youth in the future and, 
he sort of plays it a little bit too on on tune. It yeah, hello, fellow kids, sort of. Yeah, sort yeah. of a little too shimmery, a little too slick by half. A little too like I'd like to buy the, buy the world of coke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. A little yeah. bit. All right, guys. Well, listen. You know this this thing, believe it or not, is only going to heat up from here. But I'll just say, man. You know, you look at the trends, you look at the dynamics. There's got to be a sea change in the next two months. There's plenty of time to do it and plenty of debates to do it. Right. But if we're still looking at this situation come Thanksgiving, like, watch out, world. It's going to get a whole lot weirder. Yeah, get, get your bunker ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin, Ben, thanks, guys. Thank fun. you. You've been listening to The Daily Beast Radio Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your fix. Uh, tune into more Daily Beast Radio on Sirius XM Insight 121, Saturdays at 9 and Sundays at noon. I'm John Avalon, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Beast.